So if you're going to go to the trouble of, of rebuilding meat from plants, why not just make it so much better that it's desirable that mm-hmm. a guy who, or a gal who could care less about all the, the external reasons to do it does it because it's something that's desirous? That's Ethan Brown. And yes, this is the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey guys, my name is Rich Roll. I am your host. And this is the show where together we learn how to live and be better. So to do this, each week I engage the best and the brightest, the most forward-thinking, paradigm-busting minds across all categories of life, health, and excellence to help you discover, uncover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. Thanks so much for everybody who has subscribed to this show on iTunes. Thanks for spreading the word to your friends, your family members, your coworkers, your colleagues. Thanks for subscribing to my newsletter. And thank you so much for clicking through the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. All right, you guys, listen up. We have over 7 billion people on the planet that we got to feed. And what are we currently doing about it? We got problems. We got problems with this. Industrialized animal agriculture is outdated tech, you guys. So if we want to stick around on this spinning rock and do it in a healthy, sustainable way, we're going to have to find better, more innovative, more economic, more compassionate, more sustainable ways to nutrify the population. So this week, I got Ethan Brown on the show, and today we're going to talk about it. He's the guy behind Beyond Meat, where they're doing some pretty cool stuff in the plant-based food universe. This is a good talk. It's a discussion about how we can take an innovative Silicon Valley approach to reimagining food in our food system. And so that's coming up in a couple minutes. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. 
I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care especially because, unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you, I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. All right, you guys. 7 billion people on this planet. How are we going to feed everybody? If you listen to my podcast with Kip and Keegan, those are the guys behind the documentary Cowspiracy. That was episode 91. If you missed it, if you missed it, I implore you to check it out. Please check it out. But if you did listen to that, then you already know that industrialized animal agriculture has got big problems. It's the number one contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. It is the number one contributor to species extinction, ocean pollution, water waste, rainforest destruction. I can go on and I can go on. But the point is clear. We need a better way. We need a better way 
to feed the global population. We need a better way to improve human health, to positively impact climate change, to address global resource constraints and improve animal welfare along the way. And the good news is that there are some really intelligent, highly motivated people very hard at work on this crucial issue, and Ethan Brown is one of them. So Ethan founded his company, Beyond Meat, in 2009, and the idea was to foster a potential solution to problems that he saw in the meat industry, to produce plant-based products that replicated meat, and to attempt to eliminate some of the downsides of the meat industry in the process. If you know me, then you know that I'm a whole food plant-based guy, and I've never really been a big fan of the so-called fake meat products. But at the same time, I have to say that I also recognize the importance of forward-thinking textile innovation in this space, particularly with respect to people who are transitioning to a more plant-focused way of eating. Because Look, you got to create, you know, something that tastes like chicken or something that actually tastes like a hamburger if you want to recruit people into being more open to this way of eating and living. That's just a reality. And I think there's something to be said for trying to disrupt our current system from within, from the inside out. I'm not alone in this idea. Beyond Meat is backed by some really heavy hitters, some guys you might have heard of, guys like Bill Gates and Biz Stone, who's one of the founders of Twitter. And I have to say that I really respect what Ethan is trying to accomplish. I was pumped to visit his facility in El Segundo, Southern California, kind of near the airport, LAX, not far from where I live, and to learn more. So this is a great discussion. It's a discussion not just about our current food system and how we can forge a better way, but it's also a really interesting look into the road of a true entrepreneur, what it takes to create not just another startup, but how you foster, how you fertilize uh, an idea and bring it into fruition, an idea that could potentially and truly change the world. So let's drop in on Ethan at Beyond Meat and see what's what. Yeah, I left my wallet in El Segundo. Left my wallet in El Segundo. Left my wallet in El Segundo. I gotta get it. I got, got to get it. Yeah, so the cookbook, it really is focused on, um, you know, the average modern family. You know, the guy who, like, can't help, you know, from pulling into In-N-Out Burger on the way home from work right. and really addressing, like, the concerns of just the average modern family. Right. So it's more expansive than this is a vegan cookbook for the vegan people out there who sure. already have, you know, dozens and dozens of options available to them. We, we talk about uh, that broader... that in a little bit. Yeah, there you go. We, we talk about that broader target all, all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, um, you know, we, I'm, I'm extremely appreciative um, of the... I feel like a very supportive core uh, consumer group that we have, vegans and, and vegetarians, which I am, of course, in. Um, but it's, it's that much broader target uh, of American consumers who feel there's something wrong with their diet mm -hmm. and want to make a change, but, right. but just aren't willing to, uh, you know, to do the kale and quinoa uh, right. diet. <laughs> and and they're, they're busy, you know, like yeah. they're not going to go home and dial up, you know, Dr. Michael Greger's Nutrition Facts videos, right. you know, like they're going to watch Dancing with the Stars and be with their kids and do what average normal, you know, exactly. Americans do. So how do you communicate with that person and convince them that, you know, there's a better way or a healthier way? And I think it's about, 
it's about, well, for what you do, it's got to be about taste and it's got to be about convenience. Yep. And I right. think for, for us, it... Here comes the burger. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. So, thank you so much. Oh, look at that. It looks like... Uh, yeah. Look at, like little so sliders. Are, yeah, these are sliders. So these are right. the slider version. Of so is this the, the Manhattan Beach Project burger? Yeah, this is the beast. Is, yeah. it, uh, yeah. is it still super secret? or? No, no, no this is out. So oh, it's it, out it, now. It just went to Whole Foods. It's, mm -hmm. lived, it's not in all Whole Foods yet, but, uh, but it's... Uh, right. And what, what's good about this burger... <laughs> That's ridiculous, Thank man. You. Thank you. That tastes so much like a hamburger, I can't even believe it. Thank you. So what, what's awesome about it is... Mm -hmm. And this gets back to sort of how do you answer that question about you have families that are, um, you know, they're, they're, they, they want to eat uh, in a more healthy manner, uh, mm -hmm. but they're, uh, you know, just not able to, to basically make an investment and, and, and commitment to, to uh, you know, embracing a fully sort of you know, whole plant-based diet, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we've done is, is thought about, okay, how do you uh, think about why people first started consuming meat? And the, the way that, that I approach that is to look sort of historically through, even through, through evolution, like why did we abandon uh, a, a more plant-based diet and go towards being carnivorous? Mm -hmm. And it was really around nutrient-dense food. It was purely about efficiency. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we went from uh, literally having to chew about 12 hours a day to being able to pull meat off of, of animals that had been uh, game for, for other predators. You know, we initially were not predators, right? We, we were scavengers. Right. And that gave us uh, a, a really nutrient-dense source of food. And, uh, you know, it allowed us to do other things. Our brains developed. You know, we had more time for other things. We created, you know, complex social networks, uh, et cetera. Um, and so the notion that we're going to go back to consuming leafy vegetables only, I think, is, is, is not accurate. Right? Mm -hmm. I think it's something that uh, we want to incorporate more into our diet, but there's something within us that... Uh, is, is really familiar with the nutrient density of meat. And so for me as a vegan and, and vegetarian, uh, it's, it's, it's really important to, uh, to redefine meat. And so I, I've said, I think, before that I think about meat in terms of uh, its constituent parts. And it, it's really five things. It's amino acids, it's lipids, it's carbohydrates, minerals, and water. Mm -hmm. That's what meat is. Um, you can get hung up and say that meat has to come from a chicken, cow, or pig, or, or some other animal. Uh, and that is certainly true. But if you look at it scientifically and say, okay, what are the constituent parts of meat and how are they organized, uh, you can arrive at a really nice place because you can pull all those constituent parts, amino acids, lipids, et cetera, from plants, and you can organize them in the exact same fashion that they're organized in muscle. So then it becomes semantics. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, it's the same stuff. It's organized in the same way but it came from plants. Is that, is, is, is that meat or not? Mm -hmm. And for me, that is meat. And I think you're able to then separate meat from flesh. It is interesting how that definition is becoming fluid. Like I was at Chipotle the other day with my kids <clears throat> going through the line and getting our bowl of whatever. And, and uh, the person behind the counter said, uh, you know, what kind of meat do you want on that? I said, oh, I, don't want to, I, don't want any, I don't want any meat. Uh, but I'll have sofritas, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and then she says, well, that's meat. Yeah. And that awesome. And then I'm like, all right, well, am I going to have an argument now about yeah. like what's meat and what's <laughs> not? And like Tyler, my oldest was like, it's not meat or no, it was try It was trapped from 18. He's like, he goes, he wants to engage. He's like, that's not meat. That's, that's yeah. made out of something. That's not an animal, pro you know? Right. And then she got like irritated in her mind. 
these are on an even playing field. Like, right. what does that say culturally about where we're at right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Chipotle has done a, a, a fabulous job, and, and the most recent statistic I heard was that is uh, the, the sofritas are five percent of sales in California for Chipotle. Mm-hmm. So, That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Usually, like they kind of do something like that is not they meaning Chipotle, but just businesses. They'll like light a little pilot project yep. and it flames out and doesn't work and they just go back to, you know, doing whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's a tremendous success. And, and um, you know, I, I think it gets back to this notion of uh, let's, let's focus on providing nutrient dense foods. And uh, you know, in the, in, in what we do is basically want to provide those in, in the form of, of meat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if we're able to use the same inputs, able to organize them the same way, uh, able to give the same, uh, you know, uh, experience on your, on your teeth, uh, then I think, you know, it's a pretty good argument that is meat. Right. Well, that's the trick, right? Like, how do you create that texture and that taste yep. and that consistency? And it's an extremely, you know, delicate, almost art form, right? To try to mimic that. Yeah. So, so you can hear the noises exactly. of the, uh, <laughs> the steer, the extruder yeah. in the next room yeah. uh, with mad scientists hard at work. And that's really what, what, um, what, you know, what we're after is the animal uh, takes a really long time to do that. You know, mm-hmm. the chicken takes about six weeks. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a pig, it takes about uh, six months. Um, and then for steer, even longer. And all they're doing is pulling plant matter, then organizing it in the form of muscle. And so if, if we can do the same thing and do away completely with the animal, I think that's pretty exciting. We, we, you know, I, I love the quote uh, by, you know, by Henry Ford that he, he wasn't trying to make a faster horse. You know, I mean, we're, we're trying to do something that does the same thing for everybody, gives them a nutrient-dense, delicious source of food for the center of the plate, and we're just trying to do it differently. It's interesting how you we initiated this conversation with you saying sort of the evolution of, you know, the human being's kind of appetite for meat began with uh, sort of this, you know, crash course with efficiency, right? Like, well, it's a very nutrient-dense food. It became more efficient to mm-hmm. sort of, you know, Catch, capture this animal and cook it for food. Um, but the great irony is that now it is so inefficient. Right. <laughs> you, know, it's, it, you know, we've developed this taste for it. Yep. And, and now, you know, what really kind of began as, as a delicacy is now the focus of every single meal, front and center, et cetera. Yep. Uh, and yet it's the most inefficient food to create for human consumption. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so, so on our packaging for the Beast Burger, I think it's on the top, we have a question that says, you know, you've evolved, isn't it time for your meat to as well? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, over the last two million years, you know, we've gone through these dramatic changes of, I'm talking about earlier, you know, our brain went from 600 cubic centimeters to 1,300 cubic centimeters. You know, our, our, we went to standing upright and, you know, formed these incredible civilizations and everything else, yet uh, the protein that we eat is basically the same, you know, and uh, it hasn't gotten any more nutrient-dense or, or any better. Uh, it, it's, in fact, probably gotten worse through industrial agriculture, right? Well, I think, it, I, yeah, I mean, of course it's gotten worse. It's gotten yeah. a lot worse. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, why allow that? And everything else about us is, 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 uh, is, is a story of innovation, whether it's going from the landline to the iPhone, you know, going from... Uh, internal combustion engine to electric vehicles with the, you know, the most um, desirous one being a mm-hmm. Tesla. You know, we've done all this innovation, all these things, but with animals, we haven't. And, and, uh, and so it's really time to do that. And that's what we, we've tried to do. And, 
and it, to me, it's, it's fascinating, this, this concept of can you decouple meat from flesh? And, and scientifically, it's absolutely possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're seeing innovation in a variety of ways right now from the guy who is impossible foods. Yeah, it's crap around. Like the, yeah. the blood taste. Yeah. Or I mean, yeah. it's, it gets like almost creepy, you yeah. know, what's yeah. happening and growing, growing, out, you know, growing it in Petri dishes and sure. sort of non-sentient, you know, yeah. biological flesh and all this weird stuff goes on. So, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of a Frankenfood kind yep. of, you know, discussion that has to be had around this sort of stuff. But at the yep. end of the day, it really is, it really is time to innovate. And I think what's so interesting is <clears throat> that the approach to solving this problem is not coming from within the traditional uh, industry in the same way that Elon Musk is innovating the automobile from the technology side of things as if he were a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Yeah. It's folks like yourself and the guy at Impossible and Josh Tetrick up in San Francisco who are similarly approaching this problem from a technology perspective, not not the traditionalist yeah, no, perspective. I, uh, you mentioned Pat, and uh, I, think, I think very highly of him and... and uh I'm friends with him. Uh, I think the work he's doing in Impossible Foods is really interesting, and it's mm -hmm. very similar to what we're doing. Um, and there's plenty of plenty of space for, for everybody. Um, but you know, it's interesting that you say that about not. There's not a lot of disruption from within. Before, so back in, I found the company in early 2009, and in 2010, before I, had, I was basically just doing friends and family and, and funding through, through through my own limited means, <laughs> and. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was approached by a very large food company, two of them actually, and um, they were household names. And I went to visit one of them at their headquarters uh, and we were talking about, they wanted to use some of the products we developed and potentially do some, you know, either investment or, or whatever. We we're talking about their research and development team for their vegetarian line of food. Mm -hmm. And this is a product you've consumed a lot of. Anyone who's vegetarian probably has. And uh, the research team was one half of one person. I don't mean literally half a person, but like, you know, one full-time person was wow. splitting their time. Wow. So, you know, we think about this, uh, the reason we call this place the Manhattan Beach Project is we think about it as serious a problem as that World War II team was working on, mm -hmm. you know, back in Chicago. Um, we wanted that sense of urgency. And we fundamentally believe that uh, animal agriculture uh, is the number one contributor to, to greenhouse gas emissions and that, and that it has to be somehow uh, uh, resolved. Mm -hmm. And so the scientists we pulled together here we think are some of the best in the world and, and we wanted to put together the resources and the investment to give them uh, the capabilities they needed to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's just different. Uh, you know, a food company thinking about it is, hey, we have to satisfy the pesky you know, vegetarian, 13-year-old girl in the family. That, right, the annoying one. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, that's what they were looking at. It, and we were thinking more about uh, how do you reset the American dinner table? Mm -hmm. How do you get it so that plant protein is the, earns its rightful place at the center of the plate as, as the protein for the family? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an approach to looking at our entire system of how we produce food for human consumption and realizing this needs to be dismantled and disrupted and rebuilt from the ground up. Because if you look at it, or if you've seen the movie Cowspiracy, and I know like sort of the, the UN study and the 2009 right. study that came out shortly thereafter, 
really have, you know, they informed your desire to form this company. They informed the, the spine and backbone of that movie really shows you like this is broken. Like yep. it's not it's 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 a system that is that is destroying our planet at an unfathomable rate and creating foods that are making us sick. And yep. you can go down the line from species extinction to rainforest destruction and devastation to, you know, water pollution. Right. You know, the destruction of our oceans, like all the way down the line, like it doesn't make, I don't care if you're, you know, a tree hugger or not. Like right. if you're an economist, you look right. at this and you say, this is, makes zero sense. If you're an alien who beams down to the planet earth and right. says, how are they creating food for consumption? You're like, this is not sustainable. Like, right. what, are they insane? Yeah. It is insane. And we're doing it only because that's the way we've only done it. And we have this voracious appetite for this kind of food that, Absolutely. that sort of entrenches the status quo. No, it, it is um, it, it is it is something that that we dramatically need need to change. And, and you mentioned Elon Musk, and and I, I uh, am a fan of what what he's been able to do with the Tesla. Um, and I think about that a lot because I, I I have have looked at over the years arguments that try to obligate people to consume plant based foods, and, mm-hmm. I, and I find them un, uninspiring and, and somewhat ineffective. In fact, I had the opportunity to sit down with a, a pretty well-known um, uh, cardiologist at Stanford Medical, and, and he was he was warning against emphasizing too much the health benefits of products. He said, because I can tell you that I have patients in my office who I will say, you have to stop eating meat, mm-hmm. red meat, and they'll still do it. Mm-hmm. And he said, so, you know, and, and, and you can make the health argument, you can make the environmental argument all of which have logic completely on their side, and consumers will ignore it. And what I love about what Elon did was he made, it, made people desire the electric mm-hmm. car, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to do. We, we Make it sexier, make it faster, just make it like the best car available. Right, and so this whole thing about going zero to 60, you know, faster than internal combustion right. engine, I actually think that's very important. The you know? insane mode, yeah. UD. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think You've dri- have you driven one? I do you have, own one? Yeah. You have one? I do not have one. You don't have no, one. No, right. no. You've but, driven one, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, it's yeah. the greatest driving experience you're ever going to have. So if you're going to go to the trouble of, of rebuilding meat from plants, why not just make it so much better that it's desirable? That mm-hmm. a guy who, or a gal who could care less about all the, the external reasons to do it does it because it's something that's desirous. And so the beast is really our first effort to create that experience for people where, you know, we, we said, let's put this thing on, you know, steroids, mm-hmm. <laughs> not Insane the same mode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beast mode. You have to hit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? And, and so let, let's do more protein than beef and, and more iron than steak, more megas than salmon. Let's do all these things that a cow could never do, um, and see if the consumer, uh, has an interest in that. And so far they have, and I think it's only beginning, you know, if, if you break apart um, the uh, complexity of, of animal muscle, and you, you think about it in terms of those five parts, and then you start to rebuild them, uh, really fascinating things happen because you can infuse uh, that, that protein uh, with things that an animal could never do. Mm-hmm. And so um, for us, it's a wonderful journey about, about creating a, this more nutrient-dense product for people. Mm-hmm. It's so uh, layered and, and complex, too, because you have to have, like, sort of culinary experts. You have to have yeah. these, like, you know, 
these chemists, and yeah, these crazy yeah. mad scientists, people like all working together yeah. to create something that is, you know, healthy, more efficient, more cost effective. And ultimately, <clears throat> like you said, like more palatable and desirous than what's currently available. What, what I, so our, our three major goals for, for 2015 in the research and, and development area, I think, speak to those points. Um, we're, we're working very hard on a raw ground beef. Um, which would allow consumers to, uh, you know, have a malleable, uh, 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 uncooked uh, version of, of, uh, of plant-based protein that they can turn into burgers, that they can grill, et cetera. And one of the, the, the poster boards out here articulates those goals for our science team. And then the, the second one uh, is around low cost. It's coming up with alternate sources of protein that fall outside of uh, ones that I think people are familiar with, whether it's, uh, you know, the soy protein uh, or pea protein. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're looking at everything from yeast. In fact, there's a, there's a brewery across the street um, where we pick up their, uh, their discarded yeast, and you can crack that open and take the amino acids out of it and use those. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they have a higher amino acid score than beef. <laughs> Yeast does from the, yeah. the cast off of beer. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, that is incredible. Isn't that incredible? So, so we could create uh, a, a very inexpensive product that utilizes yeast uh, that that has a protein score and an amino acid score that is higher than beef. Mm -hmm. um, and so, when you start to think about that, and you start to think about okay, well, what if you if you think about the plant kingdom as feedstocks for for protein? And, and I think about it conceptually, like if you think about pastures, you think about transitioning pastures into, into fields of protein, like what are the best fields of protein? And best on, in what way? Highest yielding, uh, nitrogen fixing crops, things like that. Uh, you know, you, you can grade them on yield, on sustainability. Um, the coolest things come to mind, like, uh, you know, you can use lupin, you can use camelina, mustard seed has a lot of protein, mm. tobacco leaves have a lot of protein, you know, mm. so, so once you get away from meat has to come from animals and you start thinking about the plant kingdom, you can pull from a huge variety of plants. And mm -hmm. then, to me, that's really exciting. What do you say when somebody says to you, well, yeah, I mean, you can mimic these amino acid profiles and, you know hybridize these plants in some kind of crazy food, but, right. you know, you just can't compete with, you know, the quality of protein that you're going to get from mm -hmm. an animal because that right. nature has mastered that and humans need that. Right. Um, I just think they're just not informed. I mean, I think the science says everything else, right? Science says that, you know, we know what the amino acids are and, and we, we understand what they're contributing and we understand where to get them. And in fact, we understand where to get them at even higher levels than what we can get in, in an animal's muscle. So um, to me, probably the biggest obstacle that we face is, is not scientific, it's cultural. And it kind of speaks to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. We ascribe as humans a, a tribute, a value to animal protein that far exceeds its nutritional value. Mm -hmm. uh, it's emotional, you know, it's, I love these studies of like, and, and they sort of, they're debatable and they're controversial, but you know, uh, some uh, animal behavioralists will say that chimpanzees 
<clears throat> withhold meat in exchange for sex. Mm-hmm. And I just love that because it's like reminds me of the modern dinner date. <laughs> you know? Like if I were to take, <clears throat> I don't know, let's say my wife out and our first date was like, I offered her like some small salad. Yes. You know? <laughs> She's not allowed to eat. Until- <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying like if I had offered a small salad, her reaction to me would be very different than if I offered her like a beautiful steak. Right, right. You know, right. So there is something mm-hmm. about the provision of meat. Uh, and 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 the cultural uh, significance of meat that that we we have that I think is uh, something that needs needs to be thought about mm-hmm. uh, and so for us as a as a, um, a sector you know plant based meat uh, we cannot try to fight that we have to embrace the trappings of meat um, and and uh, and again it's to me where it gets back to you know let's try to provide products that are more desirable than animal protein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really a it's a psychological equation. It's almost like I feel like you need to hire a staff psychologist yeah. to sort of evaluate kind of there's this you got you were getting at it before when you were talking about somebody can get up and pontificate about the health benefits of meat or the environmental sort of, you know, benefits of moving away from an, a livestock based economy, all these sorts of things, but they don't trigger consumer behavior change. So right. what, what is going to do that, right? right? Like, how do you bridge that gap between information and action? You can intellectually understand, like, I know I need to stop eating in and out burgers, but, right. you know, what's right. going to actually make you do that? Right. So is, up, up the street you know, right now, there's, a, there's an in and out burger. I can guarantee if we went there, there'd be a line. Of, of course. Absolutely. I mean, every time I go by, there's an absolute, you know, it, it's so... To me, it's about innovation. It's, it's what, you know, no one's out there defending the landline anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. The landline is part of our culture. <laughs> like, you know, uh-huh. We must keep using the landline. That's uh, because the iPhone's just better. You know, the, 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 uh, that experience is better for people. And the same goes for the automobile. I mean, people aren't arguing that horse-drawn carriages should be, be around anymore. Um, so you have to provide the consumer with something that's even better than what they were, were getting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think where the, where the sector has failed before is, is trying to make too many arguments around not only the health benefits uh, or in, in a negative way, in the sense of saying, you know, this has less cholesterol, this has less, you know, uh, uh, saturated fat, et cetera. That doesn't compel people, you know. What compels people is innovation and, and being able to do, you know, get new, more, uh, 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 have something that's exciting. Mm-hmm. When you talk about innovation, I mean, if somebody, if a novelist was scripting this story, there is no more perfect setting than where we are right now in right. El Segundo. Right. I left my wallet, wallet exactly. in El Segundo. Like, it took me a long time to get used to the idea of putting yeah. off here because of that song. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so Repo Man soundtrack. You saw Repo Man, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah, he, yeah. That was like one of the first, I love that record. <laughs> Many years before I ever visited El Segundo, but it's actually a really cool little town, you know, there's some funky little shops and it's in some respects, even though it's so close to kind of the beach and the airport, it's unaffected, you know, like yep. it has little it kind of ma yep. and pa shops and stuff like that. Yep. But literally across the street from here is a gigantic Chevron oil refinery. Yep. And there is no more, you know, there is no industry or infrastructure more emblematic of like old economy or, you know, kind of how we've traditionally done things and an industry that needs disruption more than the oil business, yeah. right? Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that oil is, it's potential energy, right? It's its fuel for transportation. Yep. And here you are across the street doing something completely different, creating potential energy in the form of, you know, food or fuel for 
human beings. And that juxtaposition, I think, is super interesting. It's, it's really uh, neat to me that you mentioned that because my own background, uh, I was working on um, fuel cells for, for a long time, for almost 10 years. And uh, <clears throat> it was over frustration as I learned more and more about livestock uh, that I started the company because um, you know, we, would, we would go to these conferences and there would be uh, you know, long discussions about increasing like the efficiency of a lithium-ion battery by like one half of one half of one half of one percent, <laughs> right. and like the Department of Energy would be like, we will spend a billion dollars to do that, you know, and uh, and then everyone would go out to dinner and they'd have like steak dinner, <laughs> and, you know, and after a while, if you start to understand the impact of livestock, this is like lunacy, mm-hmm. you know, like like yeah, it's the classic example of putting all your well-intentioned energy in the wrong direction. Right. And there were very bright people working in that field, engineers and business people and everything else. But almost nobody had, was, was willing to sort of take on the issue of, 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 of livestock and, and climate. And my, my initial interest in, in the field as a child was, was around animal welfare. I mean, I, did, I just didn't, wasn't comfortable with the, mm-hmm. with the way animals were treated. But as I got older and started to understand the, particularly the climate implications, it just seemed absurd to me that there wasn't a concerted effort in Manhattan Beach project mm-hmm. a, a, to, to, to take the animal out of the production chain mm-hmm. um, uh, because it will do more good. It, it's the single, I always say, the, you know, the single most important thing you can do as a consumer is change out those three or four ounces at the center of your plate. Mm-hmm. More important than the car you drive, the house you own. Well, let's explore that. I mean, you know, we're sitting here. We both know the statistics. You know, we've seen cowspiracy. We kind of, you know, have an understanding of that. But let's say somebody is tuning in. They're not familiar with this kind of thing. Like, you know, lay a little foundation for that. So there was a guy uh, by the name of Robert Goodland who um, uh, I got to know um, uh, when I was uh, in school because uh, he's a friend of my dad's, um, who was the uh, the chief, no, he was the lead environmental advisor at the World Bank. And he was a super impressive guy. I mean, like, just had a great presence about him, was a really large man, and uh, could just command a room. He's a scientist, you know, and, and uh, he wasn't working with Sierra Club or, you know, for... for, for uh, any left-leaning organization. In fact, he's working for the World Bank, which is often demonized by mm-hmm. by the people that would be supportive of, of this view. And um, he took on the process of trying to come up with this complete accounting for the greenhouse gas emissions associated with, with livestock. And that's the 2009 report that you mentioned, livestock. And um, it was fascinating to see that buildup, because one of the things he counted, which, which the UN didn't, was the fact that there's an unnatural number of animals on the Earth's surface, and they're all breathing. Mm-hmm. And when they breathe, they respire carbon. Mm-hmm. So it, you can do a lot in terms of engineering new types of animals and things, but you can't engineer one that doesn't breathe. You know? <laughs> like, yes. like, so sort of a catch-22. <clears throat> Respiration is required, <laughs> yeah, exactly. whether you're a single-celled organism. <laughs> right. or, yeah. So sort of like, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so how do we figure that one out? So that was just one of them. The others was like he studied, the UN didn't study the composition of the soil changes and all that stuff. Anyway, so a lot of debate around that. And I've always heard people say, oh, that number's too big, et cetera. But I've never heard a credible argument as to, to why that number's not right. But whether it's 20 The number being 51%. Was, right. 51% of greenhouse gas emissions are attributable to 
livestock agriculture. Yeah. And this is in a culture where we've sort of always been under the impression that the biggest contributor is transportation, right? And transportation right. balances out at like 15 percent. Yeah, it's between or 15 like and that. 18, depending on right. And know. when we're talking about greenhouse gas emissions, there's 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 the carbon emissions, which is really what transportation is all about, and then there's the the sort of less talked about yeah, methane, methane yeah. which is what the agriculture is. And so people kind of shrug it off and laugh about it, like, oh, it's cow farts or whatever. But right. it actually is like a, it's a huge freaking problem. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so uh, you know, he, uh, Robert, uh, he died tragically uh, at the end of 2013 coming home from the Himalayas uh, and, and just had a, 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 an issue and condition that, that it was on, uh, you know, very tragic. But, but before he did, he, he really left this clue, I think, about how to save our planet. And that is to, to disintermediate, take out the animal, to, to, um, to figure out how to create, create meat directly from plants. And uh, it's, it's, um, you know, again, it's scientifically possible. The question is, you know, can we get the culture? Uh, can we get can we get folks to buy into it? Can we get folks to think about, okay, I'm having beef, chicken, uh, uh, lamb, or whatever, and it's been created directly from from plants? Mm -hmm. um, we'll see. Right. I'm I'm 100 percent sure. Soy lint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So soy lint is yeah. That's a different question. No, I know, but it's yeah. it it is this kind of you know. It conjures up this post-apocalyptic world, whether right. it's going to be utopian or dystopian. Right. The idea that we can no longer feed the planet, you know, right. and this is something that we need to be thinking about. And I'm, you know, I'm, that's obviously what gets you up in the morning and, and, and kind of drives your daily decision tree. But this idea that you know we, we can't continue to feed human beings the way that we've been doing it for much longer. I mean, we're reaching the tipping point if we haven't already passed it in terms of the devastation that it's creating. So how are we going to continue to do this and do it in a new and innovative way that's healthy, that's more environmentally sound and sustainable? And I think that the, the, um, the kind of tension that, that exists around the subject is that there's a longing to go back to local agriculture, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and that longing is is um, countered by the, you know the, the the rapid race we have toward nine billion people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's this idea that that grass-fed you know beef is more sustainable. Um, what is the reality of that? So I love I, I, I love that discussion because we, we have a, a farm. Uh, that's still in our family uh, back east, and, and um, <clears throat> one of the people who've been a very good partner to us over the years uh, recently proposed doing that uh, to putting grass-fed beef on the property, and and uh, so had an opportunity to look into look into that. And uh, I managed the you know um, really my dad managed it, but we, we participate together, and uh, the the you know we ultimately said no, but uh, I had an opportunity to do to, to look at the contribution of uh, the protein that we use in this beast burger relative mm -hmm. to the contribution of grass-fed beef to, to carbon emissions, to greenhouse gas emissions, rather. And uh, a pound of, of the pea protein that we use, which is grown in really rich soil in, in France, uh, is uh, 10 times more efficient from a greenhouse gas emissions than a pound of grass-fed beef. Mm -hmm. So this burger has this core protein in it Right uh, is one tenth of the carbon contribution uh, that grass-fed beef would have. Right, and what is how does the the carbon contribution of grass-fed beef balance out against the carbon contribution of 
conventionally yeah, raised? So, so, so it, it is I, I, it's a very controversial subject um, with, with some saying that it is the most benign uh, form and others saying that it's exactly the opposite. So I don't think there's a, I don't there's think. There's no consensus on that. I mean, my, my sort of like, th when I kind of ponder it, like it sounds on its, on the surface, like, oh yeah, it must be more sustainable because it just sounds nicer. <laughs> <laughs> right. But when you think about if there's anything that factory farming does really well, it's create the most efficient system for raising this animal in the least amount of time to get it to a point where it can turn into food. So it's yeah. on the planet for as short as possible. Whereas a grass-fed animal is going to be around longer, which means you're going to have to feed it longer and give right. it more water and all these sorts of things. So in my mind, that means that sounds less sustainable. Yeah. So and I think we have to define what sustainable really means. Like, what are you actually talking about? And those would certainly, those would be the critics. Yeah. And, and, but I mean, I view all of that and, and uh, as, uh, you know, it's rearranging chairs. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it, it's just right. Like, let's have a different conversation. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, right? We so. can't feed we can't feed the people on the planet that way anyway. So it become that becomes an elitist thing. That, and that's the hardest part for me is the the, the the folks. We talk about this as there's a sort of a, a donut hole in our core consumer uh, group, which is there are people who really love what we're doing but don't want to eat our product. Mm -hmm. You know, because because they have access to. Uh, you know the the organically grown uh, chicken, and and uh, they have access to uh, grass fed beef that they think that they think is is better for them and the planet, right? And so uh, there's a group of people who sort of appreciate what we're doing, but feel that <clears throat> that it, the, our food is processed versus more more naturally mm -hmm. grown meat. And well, I, let's explore that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I think that is the, the you know that's sort of the, the the way that this whole thing began. With you know, it doesn't matter what company names are out there, but most of these products, the sort of quote unquote fake meats out there are meats that are high or fake meats that are high in gluten or in soy products and are highly, highly processed and cause sort of problems with digestion and energy level, you know, and all kinds of things. Like, you know, I'm, I'm like a whole food plant-based guy. Like I didn't, you know, I just went straight to that and I've, I've acclimated to that. And, and so I don't, I don't feel like I'm missing anything by not having a burger, <clears throat> but I also understand that, you know, 99.999% of the population, you know, they want that or they need that or they feel like they need that in order to transition to a more plant-centric approach to their diet. Um, so, I, I, as I've mentioned many times to you, I thought your book was, was just fantastic. And I can't remember if it was in your book or just a conversation we've had, but any time I've had, like, two or more cliff bars in a single day, I think of you. Uh -huh. Didn't you say that for a while, like when you first started training and, and stopped consuming uh, animal protein, you relied a lot on a cliff bar? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely evolved. Like initially, yeah, I had this fear, like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not eating animal products anymore. Like I need to, and I'm pushing my body yeah. to places I've never taken it. I really need to make sure that I'm meeting my nutritional needs sure. and my my pantry just proliferated with all sorts of crazy supplements and powders right. and all that kind of stuff. And then I had kind of a moment of like, do I really need this stuff? Like, what am I doing? You know, and, and slowly weaning myself out of it to just do this experiment to see like, does this stuff matter? You know, right. and noticing like, you know what, like it actually really doesn't, you know, exactly. I feel, I actually feel better without it. Now that's not to say that I don't think that you should, you should sort of obviate supplementing your diet with, you know, some protein powder. If you're training really hard, maybe you're not eating all that crap. I just think, you know, you need to get, 
you need to focus on getting that from your real food. Mm-hmm. And I think supplements have their place, but they're called supplements for a reason. They're, yeah. they're supposed to supplement your right. diet. They're not supposed to take the place of, you know, what you're eating on a daily right. what basis. Would be the, what would be, if you were to, to, to completely embrace the supplement world, like what would be the word then for regular food? If, if yeah, I know. I don't know. <laughs> like the not. Yeah, like that would be this... Yeah, that is some inverted you know, situation. Well, we're, I mean, we're almost there. You know what I mean? Like, even at, I was at a Kings game last night. With my took my daughter to her first hockey game. And just walking around observing, like, what's available to eat at, like, a place like that. The same, same experience in an airport or any kind of big sure. public place, a mall. And you realize, like, what are people lining up for? What are they getting? Like, there was really very, very little that I could eat there. There were a couple yeah. things that I could get. Yep. But to see what people are preferring and then to see how you're just blasted with advertising while you're sitting in your seat, you know, just trying to watch the game. And it's just there's there's like, you know, hovering drones with like, I mean, you can't like and it's all like Doritos and McDonald's and, you know, the the Fiesta, whatever. And it's um, it's all fake food. You know, it's like it isn't it isn't real. It is it is where we are on the precipice of living, you know, idiocracy. It's it's really remarkable. So one of the things that we're doing, uh, the the process question is really important one to me. And it's important, obviously, because of the I want consumers to properly understand our products. But it's also important because my own family consumes an enormous amount of our products, including my growing children. Mm hmm. And, uh, Slide the mic up a little bit, maybe. Yeah. No, in, in, yeah, so, cool. yeah, in, including uh, including my children. And um, what we're doing this year to try to explain that better to consumers is is really borrowing a page from what Chipotle has done with their farm table videos. And we're going to walk the consumer through each part of our process, uh, including where our crops are grown and how they're grown and who grows them. Uh, and so it's it's not. You know, it's going to be very similar to what you've seen when you look at these sort of uh, romantic, uh, um, you know, local uh, beef or chicken stories that Mm -hmm. Chipotle tells, right? Um, But in our case, I will make the argument, and I think it's right, that we are far less processed. Uh, um, And and I want to prove that out by explaining to the consumer what the steps are. And And for this Beast Burger as an example, it starts with these these uh, peas, which are nitrogen-fixing crop. Uh, they're grown in, in very high-quality soil, um, and they're, they're, the protein uh, is separated through an aqueous, a water-based process. Um, and uh, you know, just like you'd separate fiber from a pea, right? Or, not like or starch using like acids that you would use to create whey protein or something right. like that, right? <clears throat> and so. Um, and then you know, and, and each of the there's a lot of choiceful ingredients in our products, and, and they're 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 uh, derived in ways that I'm very comfortable showing the consumer. And so we want to explain this concept of if you're taking protein directly from the field and putting it at the center of the plate, you know, we obviously do run it through a process, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, and the, our process is heating, cooling, and pressure. You know, that's all it is. It's it's taking protein that's in let's and I'll use two words that aren't necessarily completely accurate, but I think they're, 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 um, for illustration purposes, correct. <clears throat> um, let's consider the protein that's coming out of plants to be disorganized, right? And we are, by running it through heating, cooling, and pressure, organizing it in the same general fashion that it's organized in muscle, right? Mm-hmm. So we're realigning it. And that's literally through heating, cooling, and pressure. There's not for, for texture purposes? For, exactly, yeah, to, to create that fibrous texture, to create those muscle striations. 
Um, and so there's no, we're not applying chemicals to it. Uh, we're, we're running it through a process that's very similar to the process used for pasta. Mm -hmm. um, and we've just manipulated the heating, cooling, and pressure parameters uh, to, to, uh, to create this fibrous texture. Um, next then is, okay, how do you layer in lipids so that they have the same distribution as lipids in an animal's muscle? And that's, that's more complex. It's things like you know, tendons and stuff will have, uh, will, will have um, uh, both proteins and fats around them that, that we then need to try to, 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 to uh, recreate the distribution within, uh, within the, in the, quote, muscle that we're creating. Right? Mm -hmm. And so it's this process of taking protein directly from the field, running it through heating, cooling, and pressure, and getting it to the consumer's plate. And then we'll ask consumers to contrast that with the process of, of how uh, meat gets to their plate. Mm -hmm. And I would make the argument that ours, it's, it's a tale of two processes, and ours is the better one. Mm -hmm. you know? So, right. I mean, it's actually less processed than what is required to, to put that meat in that package in the grocery store. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And it's a process that they're going to be more comfortable watching. And that's, a, the, you know, mm -hmm. we... We did this thing back. Uh, you don't have to worry about an ag-gag law, <laughs> right? <laughs> what right? you're doing. Although that would be kind of funny yeah. to go to institute one. But, uh, um, but no, so, so that's, that's, we did do that press release back when there was a big salmonella scare here in California for that purpose. And, and it stands today that, you know, at any time someone with very little notice can call us up and ask to come to do a tour of our plant. And we'd like Tyson and Purdue and others to, to, to have the same policy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's an outrage that you can't see where your food is made. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and so anyway, so, so for people to point the processed uh, challenge at us, I find that to be remarkable given <laughs> the food that they're willing to eat. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media.
So if I'm looking at the nutrition facts panel for this burger, for example, right. what, what am I looking at in terms of ingredients and then sort of the profile? Right. So it's um, this. I'm just extremely excited about this burger. Uh, again, because I'm hoping that it's offering more, and it's in this in the in the vein of of you know like we look at these iPhones versus the landline. It, it let's create something that's just better. You know, let's not try to mimic. Let's let's just go ahead and say, okay, we we've unlocked this ability to 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 create meat from plants. Let's go ahead and give something really special to people. And so this is it's pea protein based, um, but it has an enormous amount of other other uh, plant based nutrients in it. And the the kind of top line uh, claims on it are, are, are the ones that I've mentioned around more protein than beef, more iron than steak, more omegas than salmon. Right, it's like 24 grams. Yeah, 23 grams of protein. Gram. Yeah, uh, no, I think that you're right. In the piece you read, it was 24. Um, and then... Uh, more omegas, more omega-3s than salmon. Yeah, more antioxidants. More calcium than milk. Yeah. <laughs> like that. So it's just like, where, you know, where, where could the weaknesses be and let's address them? And so and, and it's really, we have these three, I mentioned the center of the plate campaign that we have this year. And it's really the, the tenets of that campaign are three things. One is to prove out the taste and texture of our products. So do as many samplings and as many shows and, and media appearances where people actually try our products and mm -hmm. have on-air honest reactions. Um, so that's the first. And the second is really demystifying plant protein. And that's the farm-to-table work we're doing to try to explain our process and where it's coming from and, and whether you let consumers decide on what process is best, ours or industrial agriculture. And uh, animal agriculture, and then the, and then the third is to to counter head on the perceived weaknesses of, of of a plant protein diet, and that's where we said, okay, we want to have more protein than beef, we want more iron than steak. So we wanted to just obliterate obliterate those those potential uh, um, um, uh, concerns that consumers might have about the product. Right. You still get that yeah, but still argument. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? That if you could tell people all day long, yeah. yeah, but this is better and has more in there. Yeah. Yeah, but still. Yeah, let me have it in an out burger. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so that's always going to be there. But so, so do real quick on that, on that, on that kind of how do you how do you make people passionate about your product that ordinarily, if they're not already inclined to be, and two things we're doing along those lines. One is we've hired. Um, the architect uh, of the Got Milk campaign, mm. the guy that I'm really fond of, uh, Jeff Manning, um, and uh, so he diabolical he, evil genius that yeah, guy, right? So he's the guy. You're embracing the dark side, I, I the am. dark side of the force here. Well, what can I tell doing? you, what, so I used to get so frustrated. You go to any gym in America, right? And there's like Derek Jeter up on the wall with a milk well, mustache, or any high school, yeah, any public that's I mean. school. That's yeah. what I, so I said, how do you? How does one protein? How is that allowed? Right? We know why it's allowed, the milk board and everything else. But I said, I want, I, I, okay, I can't change that, but maybe I can play too. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was the idea. So, like, let's get the guy who did. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So we hired him. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he's been great. Okay. So, so, but, you know, that campaign was, um, you know, kicked off uh, in, the, in the early 90s. Right. So it's a little bit dated. So we said, okay, so we want to increase, uh, we, we, we want to improve upon, uh, that campaign in the presence of social media uh, in, in today's world. So we, we are also uh, we also brought on the the uh, one of the key guys uh, behind the um, uh, uh, Beats campaign. That's why I was joking mm -hmm. about Beats when I first mm -hmm. sat down because I loved what they did, where they basically made it part of the athlete's culture. Um, and so we married these two guys and said, "I want you to basically do a Got Milk campaign around plant-based protein, but do it in a way that's lifestyle integrated, in the way that, that Beats did it." 
And, That's pretty interesting. And, yeah, it's exciting. And so <clears throat> instead of having, you know, and I've argued a lot with, with uh, CPG marketers, you know, consumer packaged goods marketers that say, you know, you got to just do the tried and true. You got to go on Oprah. You got to go on or not, mm-hmm. Ellen and, you know, talking head nutritionists. I said, that's not going to compel and motivate right. and excite people. Right, right, right. You know, I, I want, I want, uh, you know, uh, Dustin Brown of the Kings to be talking about this. Mm-hmm. I want that, you know, I want those type of people to be embracing this because food is so emotional. You know, you can, we talked about this before, you know, a doctor can tell you, you got to stop consuming red meat. Very few people are willing to listen. Right. Well, a couple observations. Uh, the first and most prominent is goes back to this idea of kind of being outside the traditional sort of infrastructure of the industry that you're in and trying to disrupt it from a different perspective, kind of as an outsider breaking inwards. But also there's this idea, this necessary idea, I think, that that is required when you want to create massive seismic change, which is you have to work with the infrastructure that exists. You have to work within the system. You know, mm-hmm. you have to take the meeting with McDonald's. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that that these are tenets of our culture and to sort of in a punk rock way say, I'm, I'm not going to deal with that right. is to be myopic to not only the, the opportunity that's present, but to the, you know, to, to, to uh, embracing the real change that's possible. I mean, you have to you have to work within what we have here, right? right? And I, I think that what we've been, I've been asked a similar question before about you know how do you you know are you confrontational toward the meat industry? And my answer was always the same: is there's just not enough time. You know, there's just not enough time. Like, is this a serious problem? I mean, this is I, I again get back to why we called this a Manhattan Beach project. You know, it, there's a very limited amount of time left to try to write. The, the carbon imbalance we have. And, and so to sort of take outrageous stances and, and, and alienate people, and it's just not, it's just not the right approach. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a very limited amount of time to solve this problem. And, and, uh, I think we're going to get there by being cooperative versus being confrontational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So quite possibly having a beyond meat burger at McDonald's could be far more impactful culturally and environmentally, yeah. uh, than, sort of attacking McDonald's, right? 100%. So, but it's tricky, right? As somebody who's yourself, you're a longtime vegan person, yeah. you're an animal rights advocate, Absolutely. and you've got to sit across the table from somebody who created the Got Milk campaign. Yeah. You know, and I don't care that you grew up on a dairy farm, like you have an opinion about that, right? right. So how are you like reconciling all, that must create like a lot of conflicting sure. emotions and dissonance in you. Yeah, no, it, it's, it, it is interesting. And, and uh, I think you know, part, part of, uh, my, my personal background is I actually, so our dairy farm was a hobby farm for my dad. Mm-hmm. So I actually grew up closer to you. Right. But he would have us out there weekends, summers, uh-huh. everything. but I grew up in the city. So I was, oh, I was on the farm, but not of the farm. I don't know if you know what that means. Yeah, yeah, And by the way, like, it seems like every other plant-based vegan person that I have on the uh, podcast right. grew up on a dairy farm. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, so I There's a lot so, of yeah, dairy. So, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. You're Bethesda, Maryland. Yeah. We went to rival high schools. Yeah. We have friends from yeah. the same town growing up. We didn't even get into all that. We can get into that in a minute, but yeah. go ahead. But, but yeah, so, 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 um, I, I, uh, yeah, it, 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 this, this issue of, of being willing to, so I worked a long time, for example, with Hillshire, you know, I, uh, and I went to see how they make their sausage and it was hard. You know, as an animal rights person, that wasn't pleasant. Um, and a lot of the motivation for this company, uh, is, um, Emotional in the sense that, that as a dad, you know, my, my wife is from uh, a rural part of Pennsylvania, 
Um, her dad's a hunter, and, and uh, you know, it, it was not an easy transition. Uh, and we still have a sort of, you know, she's not vegetarian. Mm -hmm. um, and so for my kids, particularly they're much younger, they're nine and 10 now, uh, we, you know, road trips, we would have arguments. And, you know, we'd, we'd go into a particular member, one in particular, you know, going down the I-95 corridor is not a lot of vegetarian options, mm -hmm. you know, for, for, mm -hmm. for kids. And uh, What's that one town where all the fast food restaurants are that everyone yeah. stops at? Yeah, well, it's uh, like, or, or just those. In Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. yeah but they, the, or just the, the you know, Turnpike uh, right. uh, rest stops with Nathan's Hot Dogs and right. stuff like that. And uh, so we went to Subway, and I remember my wife, you know, maybe this is a little too much to share on a podcast, but uh, we'll, no skip, we'll skip this part. No one's listening. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, she, like, insisted that they get animal protein. And I think one of them ordered ham. And you know, we have uh, six pet pigs. So I was just, like, floored by that. I was like, how can you do that? You know, how can you... But I saw her as a mom being, like, trying to look out for the best interest of kids, you know, I was, and, and, and her view, right? And so it was, it was almost sickening to my stomach to do it, you know? And I sat there and thought, like, okay, we'll, we'll pick my battles, you know? So I think I did it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, like, it was very, very difficult to follow through on it. And it just motivated me, that type of situation, to say there's got to be a better choice. You know, there's got to be a, a better way... Uh, to, to feed your family. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, for me, this whole quest of how do you make this accessible to mainstream America? I'm far less interested in, you know, I think as you are, you know, in, in uh, the folks that, that can, can afford to, to uh, you know, the, on the Hamptons or, or in, in Marin, you know, to, to mm -hmm. eat a certain way. I mean, that's not the way, that's not the way you're going to solve the world's problems. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it was very personal. It was, how do I, how do I create something? And I feel the same about milk today. Mm -hmm. With milk, milk is particularly bothersome because they're, you know, have you heard the new Got Milk campaign? Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, a, a, an athlete in their, you know, 20s probably calling back to a child who's six and saying, you know, thank you for having had milk every day. Oh, I grew up, right? And and, and and so you know it's, it's that doesn't even get into the chocolate milk thing yeah, that's going right? on right now. Well, so, but it does in the sense it's so interesting. At the end of the commercial, it's like mom and dad. If your child won't drink milk, put a little flavor in it. Right? Isn't that incredible? It's almost like like what is going on? It's like it's like an ad that you would think like if you take a step back and look at it and you think this is like an ad from 1952. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Right. Like they're trying to convince you that chocolate milk is a health food? <laughs> like, right. all I see is. A bunch of guys sitting around a boardroom going, oh, we got to do something about all these plant-based milks. We're losing market share. Exactly. I got it. Let's, let's, uh, let's reinvent chocolate milk as, as an athletic recovery food, yeah. you know, yeah, like, refuel. Yeah. and let's, let's create a whole campaign around that and to see every, and throw a ton of money behind it yeah. and a ton of advertising yeah. and every, and, and people like the taste of chocolate milk. So it's an easy sell. And there yeah. you go. Yeah. So, so, if, yeah, so like yeah. it's just amazing. Yeah. So if we didn't have our hands full with, with, with this process of, of rebuilding meat from plants, uh, I would hundred percent be doing the same with dairy, you know, cause I, I just think it's, uh, you know, it's incredibly harmful to the environment, you know, dairy cows and, and, uh, and, you know, if you believe the China study, it's not that good for you. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. So, uh, all right. So embracing the system to the extent that it, it can be a vehicle for change on a mass level brings up other stuff. I mean, there was this story recently, a couple weeks ago, uh, about, uh, 
Jamie Oliver getting into a little bit of hot water because he was meeting with Bill Gates. I don't remember the details of it, but I just remember um, there's, there was sort of a, a to-do about it because Bill Gates is involved with sort, you know, sort of hybridized plants and you know GMOs and is sort of embracing one aspect of GMOs that makes what he does controversial in his quest to feed the planet. Sure. Uh, and then, and so suddenly, sort of, you know, Jamie Oliver is a bad guy, right? Right. And <laughs> I get that. And, and right. So it gets tricky, right, from a PR perspective. Like, how do you make the right move when your heart's in the right place and you need to be an entrepreneur and sure. and grow a business? Like, how do you? What are your rules of the road for navigating that? And that's, this kind of gets into the entrepreneur aspect of right. like what you're doing. So I read, uh, I read as much as I can. Uh, on the, the social media side of things, comments about our products and, and company. <clears throat> and one thing that allows me to stop reading a comment because I don't think it's reasonable is if they make a negative comment about Gates and GMO. I just mm -hmm. stop reading because I, I, um, I've had the really just a blessing and an opportunity to, to, to sit down with him a couple of times and to get to know his team pretty well. And uh, the guy is so thoughtful and, and his, his efforts are so important. Um, what was that first meeting like? It was Bill great. Gates? It was unbelievable. Man. How did that come down? How did it, that happen? It, it was great. So, so um, I, I took investment early on uh, it, after about two and a half years from uh, from um, uh, Connor Perkins. Mm -hmm. um, and it, that in and of itself was an amazing experience. Uh, Which for people that don't know, like top shelf venture capital, for, like if you want to be funded by anybody, like these are the guys that make stuff happen. So, so I had some offers from some other VCs and it was a funny story. So my, uh, I called up a buddy of mine who had done some business with them before. And he said, even if you fail miserably and are fired, he said, having them invest in your company will be a really good thing for you. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that sounds pretty good. But they, but they, there's this imprimatur that like, you know what you're doing. Yeah. And, and they're just, a, they just move at a different rate. Uh, and, and so the good thing that I can say, I've been working on it for four years now. And, uh, and, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm in a typical CEO of, of a company that they, you know, that they deal with companies that they deal with. And, uh, I can say they've done absolutely everything they said they're going to do everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, they've been a remarkable group of people. The two guys that, that really went <clears throat> went out on a limb for me were a guy named Walter Spande and then someone named Ray Lane. <clears throat> Ray was the COO of Oracle for a long time and, and is from rural Pennsylvania and, and, and just a really open, interesting guy. Um, but, but so I, I took some investment from them. And it was, the right, it was at the right time. It was at the point where I was going back and forth from Maryland to, to Missouri, and we were living up, up in western Maryland by our farm. And... Uh, my money had gotten so low that I was like staying in motels in St. Louis that were like you had to, you know, uh, sign a waiver that you had no guns on you and stuff like mm -hmm. that. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I was like, I better get some help. Um, and because so, St. Louis is near the, your facility in Missouri, yeah, right? so I'd where fly, you have all your extruders and all. Exactly. So I would fly out of out of out of St. Louis uh, and drive to would go from BWI to, to St. Louis and then mm -hmm. drive to Columbia. Um, but so I took money from, from, from them and a lot of support and help and, and encouragement and, and I, again, very positive things about them. And it's not like it's been, you know, all roses for the last four years. It's been hard, you know, building business art. And I've made mistakes and, and, and done things that I wish, you know, I, I could go back and make different decisions. And, you know, it, it, so, so it, it, they've been great, you know, mm -hmm. uh, helping me to, to you know, kind of paying my tuition, basically, as I learned mm -hmm. how to do this. Um, and... Uh, 
anyway, so they introduced me to, to Gates and, and, and uh, had an opportunity to sit down with him. And when they prepped me for the meeting, they were like, all right, you gotta be really careful because he's very mathematically oriented, you know? And so you gotta make sure that the, you understand all of the equations and everything in your, we had a bunch of stuff about efficiency and things like that. Mm -hmm. He said, it's very likely he'll find something in there that, that is potentially wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so are you like going up to Seattle or did uh, so he, we went, where, he, where did this go down? down? He, he came down to, to Northern California. And what was hilarious was, first of all, I didn't wear a suit I wore nice clothes, but not a suit. And, and there was a group that was meeting with him before I went in, and they were all wearing suits when they came out. And they were all like crumpled suits. They looked so dejected. I was like, oh my gosh, I really am about to go in there and just get killed. Mm -hmm. I went in, and as you can tell the way I'm telling the story, is that he was the nicest guy ever. I mean, he was the nicest guy. I mean, he talked about his kids. He kept asking us whether there was animal protein in what he was eating. He said, is this some sort of hybrid? Is it, is it mm -hmm. part plant, part, part, part animal meat? He said no, and, and I think that the food spoke for itself. And his big observation was if you can drop the price of this below meat and you can get global quickly enough, you can make a real contribution to human nutrition. And, uh, and that was great. So then we met with him again, and then he made an investment. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he's been great. I mean, he, he... And has he been, like, an, like, so along with that investment, does that come, what comes with that? I mean, does he sort of call you up and say, hey, man, you know what's going on over there? I wish, yeah. but not really. <laughs> he has some guys yeah. that do that uh -huh. for him. He's got his men, his dudes, men. right? But it's funny. Like, he, it's a whole experience. It's really interesting. Like, you go to their office up in Seattle, and it's like there's nothing on the door. Mm -hmm. It's like it reminded me I, when I worked with fuel cells, I used to work with the Defense Department somewhat because they were early adopters. And you'd go to some of their offices, there'd be nothing on the door. You mean like the door of the building or the door of his, his actual office? His suites, like right. of, of, to get into his, you'd have no uh -huh. idea that Gates that anything's is in, that anything's yeah. in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of interesting, like sort of like Charlie and Charlie's Angels. Right, right. All right, but back to this idea that like you dismiss anything where somebody's sort of criticizing his, you know, Gates's perspective on GMO. I mean, like GMOs is a, that's a subject matter that I talk about on the podcast. It's something that I think we're, you know, we're, we're just learning about. We have a lot right. to learn about and, sure. and we're not sure what we're dealing with exactly. And so I think, you know, my, my, you know, my call to action is always sort of like caution is advised, you know, as we're learning is. about this. So, you know, what is, what is Bill Gates doing? What is he not doing? Like what, what is your perspective on his involvement and how we should kind of perceive his, Investments and his advocacy in this quest, his very public quest, to kind of solve this world hunger problem that right. we have. I mean, I took, without getting into the kind of very specifics on his views on GMO, I, I can say that um, to, to the average pundit uh, uh, or, or online critic, I can guarantee you he's thought about it more than you. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and that he and that he has that he has taken into consideration the risks around it and and has a pretty uh, decent grasp on it. Um, but uh, there is also some hype around GMO that's important to understand. So one of the reasons that it's so costly to get GMO certified is that, um, particularly the GMO certification project, uh, has cast such a wide net on what is considered genetically modified that, that it's, it's hard to, to do things that are practical. Um, and uh, I'll give you an example. So Whole Foods doesn't offer or is now trying to really restrict the sale of GMO within, within their store. One of the restrictions on, on GMO products through our process is if you use a genetically modified organism to create something else, and that which has been created doesn't actually have GMO in it. So we use an enzyme, mm -hmm. for example, in, in one of the flavorings that, that we've considered in the past. 
uh, but it's not in the flavoring itself. It's just used as, a, as an enzyme to help create something. I right? see. That's considered it's a like GMO. a catalyst agent for... Exactly. <clears throat> so here's the rub. Cheeses are done that way. A lot of milk is done that way. So... Because you're using bacteria or yeah, and, and, and you're using, you're using mm -hmm. modified enzymes. Mm -hmm. um, what's a good example? Uh, all, all laundry detergent most likely was generated using enzymes that are genetically modified. Mm -hmm. But seventh, seventh generation, I'll bet you, is, 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 is uses a genetically modified enzyme. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, okay, where do you draw the line? Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, like anything else, once you start to really look into something, it's more complicated than it may seem. Yeah, and I don't have, um, I shouldn't <clears throat> speak on it like I'm an authority. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just think it's, it's incumbent upon all of us to be conscious yeah. of the choices that we're making and to educate ourselves to the extent possible to, like, know what's going on with our consumer products and our yeah. foods. And I think it is alarming to see, you know, to see the lack of regulation and to see it kind of cascading into, you know, something that maybe nobody intended it to be, while it's also creating oligarchies and kind yep. of vertically integrated, yep. you know, enterprises along with it, that, you know, it's not hard to kind of think, well, this is, there's something dastardly about this that we should really be, you know, conscious of. Yeah. So having, having said all that, I mean, we are like, you know, our, none of our products have GMO elements in them and we're, we're completely committed to mm -hmm. that. I mean, you know, to non-GMO. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I share your caution around it that, that, uh, but you know, it's, it's not one of my issues basically. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, what's that song? I got 99 problems, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but GMO is not one right now. Not right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got big bill on your shoulder. Right. And speaking of like, you know, fancy partners, where does, where does biz stone come into the equation? Yeah. I, he's, uh, he's great. Um, Twitter founder. Have, have, have you, have you, have you uh, done a podcast with him? I have not. I would love to. You know, it's funny. I have a. I. I, uh, I was at Disneyland. I took my daughter for her birthday last December. Her and a couple friends, and we were at this the hotel. I forget what it's called. It's kind of attached. We 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 got like a hotel room and all stay to do overnight. And I'm right. down in the lobby in the morning, and I see Biz and his wife and their son, <laughs> and I'm like I'm around Hollywood people all the time. Like I don't. I, I don't care, you know, right, and I see right. Bizstone, I'm completely starstruck. <laughs> and I wanted to go, like, say hi, and I just could not bring myself to do it. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, he would have loved to have met you. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, well, so, maybe you can, maybe yeah. you can hook us up. I'd I, love, yeah, I'd love to have him on the podcast. He'd I, be okay. amazing. So. I'll send a note to him. And, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, I was too uh, self-conscious and embarrassed uh, no, to approach he, him. He, he would well, he was having family time. You know, I didn't right. want to interrupt his day. Right. No, he's, he's. But anyway. So, he's a super good egg. And, uh. Yeah, Biz is just a really interesting guy. Um, as is Ev Williams, um, they're, they're the, the, his, his co-founder there mm -hmm. at um, Obvious, right? Yeah. Like, so this company that they now have the, yeah. the two two of the main guys that founded Twitter. For yeah. people that are listening who might not know who these guys are, yeah, they're both. And I think it's people ask sometimes, like, well, how, you know, how do, why are these guys investing? And I think it's part of a new generation of investors that that really want to put um, their funds toward. Uh, things that they believe in, um, you know, they 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 uh, they truly truly believe in this, and and um, yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, I, I talk about this as as uh, being part of something that's much bigger than myself, and and uh, you know, as a Victor Hugo quote, uh, "There's nothing more powerful than an idea as time has come." I feel I'm just lucky to have been able to to be part of. I mean, I really do. Like, it's a, I feel that sort of momentum about it. You know, that that. Um, and I've been I've done other things in my life where, 
it's not present at all. And you can really feel the difference, you know, mm -hmm. where, where you realize that you're working towards something and you can articulate it in any you know, spiritual terms or in, in any other way. Uh, but it's you're you're part of a momentum that that far exceeds your own movement. Mm -hmm. That's got to feel good. It does feel good. It feels um, it feels great. And, and I, yeah, I asked Ev after um, after uh, Twitter went public. I uh, said, so, so he, how do you, you feel an obligation now, <clears throat> like having all this cash, you know? And, and he said, 100%, absolutely. Sort of like he's been put in this incredible position, you know? And, and that's the way that these guys approach mm -hmm. the wealth that they've been able to create. So in this, to kind of extend this analogy of the potential energy of the oil refinery next door and the potential yeah. energy of, of the pea protein and yeah. the, the yeah. extruder that's yeah. on the other side of this wall, the potential energy of that kind of financial resource to uh, put it to good. You yeah. know? And I think, listen, I wouldn't be sitting down here talking to you because you're just an entrepreneur who's got a food company. Like we got real problems and there's, there's something visionary about what you're doing you. that has huge ramifications outside of, you know, whether you can turn this into a, a large profitable company or not, yeah. you know, because we got to figure out how to feed people and we got to figure out how to hit the brakes on, on, on the, the rate at which we're <laughs> destroying our precious planet. Yeah. For, for me, and this is a solution. This is like, this is a no brainer solution. So I, I just, I, 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 I think a lot about this, um, evolutionary process of, 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 of you know, how we started consuming meat and, and how we might start consuming a plant-based meat. And I would just love to be part of a group of people that in their lifetime created that you know, plant-based meat that, that mm -hmm. actually allowed for the transition. You know, I mean, I think that would be huge, you know, in, in terms of the evolution of how we eat and, and of who we are as, 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 a, as a race. Mm -hmm. Um, well, the worst case scenario is we're not going to have any choice. Yeah. Right. right. And you're going to yeah. be sitting here going, well, I got this stuff over here. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? How do you like me now? Yeah. American <laughs> drug lord over here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. How do you like me now? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I've known you a couple of years and I've seen, you know, the company kind of, kind of, you know, continue to grow and you're no stranger to kind of making the rounds on the morning talk shows and, you know, the Charlie Roses and all that kind of stuff. And I've, I've heard you interviewed many, many times on television. Um, and something that, that I think is interesting that kind of happened not that, not that many months ago was this article that turned up in Outside Magazine that did really kind of an extensive profile on, on you and, and the mission and the company. And my perspective as somebody, somebody just on the outside looking in is it looked like that really hit a nerve and went viral in a way that some of these other, you know, you, you think like you're sitting there on national television talking to Charlie Rose, like everybody's, you know, watching this and that's going to make an impact. Yeah. But it seems to me that this article might, might have been the thing that really kind of captured people in a way that everything else that you've done prior didn't. Uh, it, it, that, I mean, it's incredible you say that because that's exactly, exactly how I feel about mm -hmm. this article. And I think one is because Rowan is a great writer. Um, uh, the way he opened up the article is so <laughs> great. great right? yeah. like, I don't love the thing about like smashing my Hummer into like a, uh -huh. but, um, but, uh, I, I, you know, and I think it's 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 borrowing a page from from Elon Musk's uh, uh, playbook. It's it's let's create something that is just flat out better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people are, can be excited about about that article and about this product. 
um, is is uh, you know it's, it's an innovation. Um, it's not it's not trying to just be like beef. It's trying to be something better. Um, and uh, you know it, it's something that'll help people perform better, feel better, uh, live healthier, happier lives. Um, and it gets I, I just I want to stay away from as much as I can from negative advertising around. And I, I mean negative in the sense of like you know less cholesterol, uh, less saturated fat. Mm-hmm. Those are important claims, but they don't motivate and excite. And I really want to excite people to embrace this the same way they embrace an iPhone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's new, it's exciting, it's, it gives them more, it's better. Um, by the way, we have a, a product that I think I really want to talk to you about when, when I can talk more freely about it. But um, it's with one of the largest uh, uh, meat companies uh, in the country in their category coming out uh, I don't know, hmm. at the end of this year. That's, that's pretty vague. And like, yeah. <laughs> I don't, and, I don't and, know well, what that means. So, no, but, tell you, uh, let me tell you, and it's for gym bags. It's for gym bags. It's jerky. Oh, wow. Interesting. It's awesome. It's, it's really? the fibrous texture and structure mm. of it are off the hook. That's interesting. Well, the timing is good. I mean, this what is, what is going on with like the the beef jerky market? Suddenly, it became this big yeah, artisanal, know. you know, yeah, like sort of you know, yeah, know. kind of thing. So well, that's interesting. You ever see? I don't know if you've ever seen this book, but when I, I when bookstores were more common than they are now, but like it was it was profiled for a couple of years back in the '90s, and it was an African American guy, and I just love the title of it. It was him in a business suit. I can't remember his name right now, but the title of the book was "Why Should the White Guys Have All the Fun." And it's him being successful and everything mm-hmm. else. And I thought that's a really good point. And for me, it's the same thing about, you know, uh, uh, being vegan versus being a, a meat eater. You know, like I want to have all of the opportunities to have protein and to have an awesome juicy burger on the grill. You mm-hmm. know, I don't want the fact that I'm considering climate and the welfare of an animal to, you know, I don't think you have to make that choice. I think you can have mm-hmm. plant-based meat that is as good. And, and so this question of, you know, with the jerky, for example, yeah, jerky tastes good and it's convenient. And we've come up with a plant-based one that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think ultimately consumers, they want to feel good about the companies that they're supporting. And that's why, you know, to keep we keep bringing it back to Tesla. But, you know, you can, of course, that's a very elitist product. You know, right. it's an aspirational product for almost anybody. But, but it, it basically checks every box, you right. know, and, and anybody who makes that kind of enormous investment in an automobile can actually feel great, good that they're supporting something that they can feel good about. Right. You know what I mean? And if yep. you can create that on, you know, a more sort of average consumer Accessible level, level. <clears throat> yeah, then that's, I think that's really important. And you see it now. I think it's all emblematic of this Internet culture that we're in, where we demand a greater level of transparency in everything that we're doing. We want to know what's going on, and we should know what's going on. And the Internet has really fueled that. Like, young people, the idea that, you know, a company's not going to tell you how they do something, like, that doesn't even... That doesn't even like translate. Like, right. what are you talking about? You right. know what I mean? Like, they're used to knowing everything about everything yes. uh, right in the palm of their hand whenever yep. they want it. Yep. So, uh, so I think that that uh, when we're talking about outdated technology versus new technology, this is really the direction that we have to move in. And you're seeing it with the nonprofit, like the NGO world, right? Like, where people that are giving money to these charities, they want to see the through line. Like, where is that money going sure. exactly? Sure. Is this going towards office space or is this actually getting you know, into the hands of the people that, that want it? And the, that level of transparency has created a whole new level of interesting you know, nonprofits out there that didn't exist prior to this sort of demand for transparency. Yeah, transparency. It's, it's true. And, and, and one thing that 
um, social media and uh, and handheld uh, uh, units and everything has done is is it, you know paradoxically this advance in technology has brought people closer to factory farming. You know it, it it's allowed them to see. Uh, very easily, what's going on within uh, the the uh, within the farm mm-hmm. in a way that you know ten or fifteen years ago uh, one student couldn't send it to another on their handheld. Today mm-hmm. they can. You know, they get a video and they can go viral. Right. And so it's bringing people closer to a process uh, that uh, that's not that, you know that uh, that previously they weren't able to see. Right. And 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 industry is being held to this standard of you better walk the walk that you're talking. Right. And if you don't, we're going to find out about it. Whereas previously, like you sure. can say whatever you want, like, you know, <laughs> we're never going to know what's really going on. Yeah. And yeah. so that's that makes for an interesting mix. Yeah. No, it, it is. Um, it is. So it's an interesting time we're in. And, and uh, I think for, from us, uh, you're going to see more and more of products like the Beast that, um that, that try to differentiate uh, uh, around not only you know, having a meat-like experience, but delivering more. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the entrepreneur aspect of, of you know, kind of what you do. And uh, <laughs> what's so interesting is like every great startup story, it's, it's like uh, you know, the, founder to, the founder meets the co-founder and this partnership strikes up. Right. And in your case, you, know, you have this magical moment, or at least this is how it's sort of documented you know, in the press where yeah. you meet Fu, Fu Hung yeah. Shea. Is yeah. that how you say his name? Yeah, yeah exactly. He sounds like well a, done. Sounds like a Bond villain, right? <laughs> yeah. And then this idea is born. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> and, uh, and here you are, you know, which I just had to point that out. Yeah. I thought that was humorous. But if you were like to, do you ever speak to young entrepreneurs? I mean, what is the message that you could, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they're in the throes of starting their own business or mm. entertaining the prospect of launching into an, uh, an entrepreneurial kind of yeah. endeavor, you know, from what you've learned and the road that you've walked, you yeah. know, what have you, what, what is the wisdom that you impart? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, uh, it's personal and, and, uh, um, you know, basically, like most wisdom, born from mistakes. You know, um, so what? Um, you know, when I was in my twenties, I I was in a, in a relationship that I really wanted to fix or get out of. Basically, mm-hmm. and so I didn't know how to do that, and so I went to see a therapist about it. And uh, obviously, you, know, you get there, you start talking about other things. And so I was talking about my career, uh, this was in my late 20s, and, uh, and I said, you know, I really want to start a plant-based McDonald's. Like, it just drives me crazy that, you know, I think I referenced the I-95 corridor we talked mm-hmm. about before. This is ridiculous. I said, you know, the white stuff in a chicken McNugget's not really chicken anyway. The beef is terrible quality. Like, why can't you just have plant-based meat and McDonald's? And the guy is like, you got, this is in Georgetown, mm-hmm. Wisconsin Avenue. You gotta do that. You absolutely have to do that. And I was like, "All right, man, that's awesome." So I, I left, and of course, didn't do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I went right in back into the energy field. I switched jobs and went, and went into the energy field. And uh, the reason that I did was that I felt that you know I had some educational background and training, and came from you know your dad's an attorney, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you 
became an attorney. Yes. Right? I did the same thing. My dad's, you know, is, is a professor <clears throat> and uh, in, in the field of the environment and everything. And, and I went into to that field and felt that, like, trying to open, like, a plant-based McDonald's was sort of like a hippie-ish thing to do that wasn't serious enough. Well, also, I think growing up in D.C., you know, it's, you're not, it's not really, there's not a lot of entrepreneurial flair, you know, that you're, that's <laughs> exactly instilled in you as a young person. Yeah, like, you're, you know, stay in your lane, young man, yeah. you know, go to your nice school and get good yeah. grades and, like, do the yeah. right thing, you know, yeah. like, you're not, you weren't encouraged to go, like, yeah create something new and different. And it's interesting you mentioned that uh, DC and everything. And, and, and so both being in that context and then in, in the context of having a dad who's in the phone faculty mm-hmm. and the professor and everything, recognition was not through like new products. It was through like papers and research and stuff like that. And, and so I was working at the time on electricity restructuring and working on how to basically create a better framework for states to, to deregulate in order to bring on more uh, alternative energy. And um, I did. A, I wrote a report uh, on that that got a lot of um, recognition with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission mm-hmm. and the Senate Committee on what, on Energy and Natural Resources. And so I felt like I was doing everything that my dad basically expected of me, you know. And I was like, <laughs> how, and just to like become this, you know, restaurateur with, with, with weird McDonald's was just not serious enough. And I also being very big. I had this fear that I would be viewed like Lenny and Mice of Men, just like mm-hmm. stroking a little rabbit, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like just like sentimental and like, you know, uh-huh. it was just, I loved animals. I didn't want to hurt them. And like, you know, that, that was my thinking at the time it was like, I just it drove me crazy. I thought like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And so all of those reasons were like super compelling from my heart and I ignored them all. And, uh, and so over time it just ate at me just mm-hmm. year after year, just like, you know, just uh, my passion was in it, uh, but I was working in an awesome, for the best company in the world, I felt, in the fuel cell sector. Ballard Power Systems, publicly traded, reported the CEO there, had a great job. But I, I just kept feeling like I wanted to go do this. And so finally, you know, I just got frustrated enough that I wasn't listening to my heart, mm-hmm. that I started to basically make investments in some restaurants that I thought had some chance of doing something interesting in plant-based protein. And from there, started to realize the problem wasn't the restaurants, it was the quality of the protein. And we were, so I got involved with one which was importing a lot of product from, from Asia, from Taiwan. And they were good, but not good enough. And, and so I said, well, what if I could help create something, knowing something about technology and scaling up stuff that was actually more like meat, that was, you know, use these amino acids, lipids, mm-hmm. everything else, and built it, really rebuilt it from plants. And, I, you know, so I, there's a story about the internet. You know, I, I just started researching at night, like who was doing that, you know? And, and there were, there was, I, I met, I spent a lot of time with the guys who were doing in vitro meat, mm-hmm. you know, cause I thought that was kind of interesting for mm-hmm. a while. And, uh, but there's a saying in the fuel cell industry that fuel cells are uh, good for the future and they always will be. And it's basically a knock against the fact that they're just, you know, they're constantly about to commercialize. They're mm-hmm. never, you know, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. and I felt that way about in vitro meat. I was like, you know, do I need another project that's just, ne- you know, that, that it's going to be 30 years if, if that before and, it. And the fuel center, is very adept at like pushing out like every five years, <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be 2015, it's going to be 2020, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want another project like that. And then I also had to start an issue with, I, I love the simplicity of, well, why don't you take amino acids and fat from plants and just rebuild them, you know, in the same architecture. Mm-hmm. So the guy that was doing that was Fu Hong Shea and, and someone who passed on the way in here, Harold Huff. 
And they'd been doing it for about 15 years. And they were doing a great job. So I called them up and, and said, can I come in and look what you're doing? And, and you know, if you had tried to have this podcast with Fu Hung, it would have been about 30 seconds. The guy, he just is so, so shy. <laughs> like, uh-huh. you know, so, yeah, but you got to have that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so him and Harold are just awesome people. And uh, let me tell a quick story about them. Yeah. So, um, so we worked together for about a, a year and a half. Um, and uh, and I, I ended up quitting my job to be able to do it full time. And uh, first, I became a consultant, and then and then quit altogether. Started the company, and and um, Time Magazine ran an article in early 2010 about the platform they used. And I call I I, I was at a, I was up at our farm, and a neighbor came to me and said, "Did you read about these guys in the Midwest? It sounds like they're doing something just like you're doing." I was like, "Oh shit." That's Fu Hong mm-hmm. and Harold. The they were at like University of Missouri or something? Exactly. He said that, right. He said, yeah, these, there's some guys at University of Missouri doing exactly what you're mm-hmm. doing. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing. And I, I, so I went to the top of our hill to get cell coverage, and I called Harold, and he's here now, and I said, Harold, what happened? You know, this is our project. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how could the university do this? And he said, well, the, you know, the PR department said the guys were coming down. They didn't give us a lot of information about it. Uh, and, you know, he said, but I guarantee you that you have my word that, that we'll do this with you. But after that ran, they got... But the implication was that this was going to be university-owned? Like, I'm, I'm trying the, to... Yeah, the implication, the implication was that what I thought was a secret project... That you were working on with these guys is suddenly... Became, like, national news. Mm-hmm. And it was a very favorable article and everything. And, uh, and so after the article ran, they but, got... But premature and not... We didn't, we, we didn't yeah. paper anything. It yeah. was three guys working on a project, right? And, and, uh, and so... Um, they, they, so, so uh, you know, they got calls from major food companies, major, major companies saying, can we, can we do this? And this is the thing about the Midwest. They said no. They mm. said, we already got a guy. I just thought that was incredible. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. Not just the two inventors, but the university brass themselves. Interesting. Yeah. So my panic. Good Midwestern people. Like, have they been out in L.A.? Forget well, about right. it. Right. Well, so my panic. Sell you down the river, b- buddy. Born of D.C., yeah. <laughs> you know, backstabbing. Uh-huh. Machiavellian <laughs> politics inside the beltway, yeah. you know, power plays. When he said, I got your back, he meant it, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and so. Uh, so like, so, that's the guy I can be partners with. Like, so we, he established yeah. that this guy is to be trusted. Yeah. And so, so he's here now, Harold. And, uh. And, and he drove to Cumberland, Maryland, where our plant was initially uh, back and forth, I don't know, half a dozen times from mm-hmm. Missouri to help us set up the facility and everything. And now he's out here. And uh, he's just a you know, stand-up guy. So it's great. That's great, man. Yeah, that's really nice. So if you could give yourself uh, some advice, like when you, were f- when you first had the idea to start this company and now where you're sitting now, what would the advice be? I'll drink more milk. Drink. No, I'm kidding. Spend more time at the pub across the street. <laughs> you know, I, I guess that one of the things that's been hardest for me to learn is, uh, is, 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 you know, as an entrepreneur, you want to get excited about different ideas and, and, and can get kind of, you, you must have this in your, mm-hmm. your career, like where you, you get excited and it's, it's a process of saying no to things. And I probably have said yes to too many things. And, and, and in terms of like, you know, as I think about our product suite, I, I, the, the, the reason that these things are on the door, the three, you know, the, 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 the raw beef, the, the uh, chicken 2.0, which is an effort to improve our chicken, and, and then the low cost is, <clears throat> you know, these guys aren't allowed to work anything else. And, and it took me a long time to learn that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the power of focus 
And it's mm -hmm. something people talk about. You got to be focused, et cetera. But you're like, yeah, okay. But this is super interesting, and there's plenty of hours in the day for me. Right, to, right, right. And just, I guess, the process of maturing, you just learn that that's, the focus is enormously important. Mm -hmm. And so it took me a long time to understand that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think as you get more successful, that becomes more important, too. Yeah. As more opportunities exactly. are presented to you, I'm sure, all the time. People are calling you. They want you to do this or that. Yeah, so so it's it's that that was that, and then I think just you know this the process of my in my career of listening to to my heart more um, sounds absolutely goofy and you know sort of zen like, but but it's a hundred percent true. But that's why you're sitting here, exactly, right? right? I mean, yeah. if you weren't, you know, that's and I and I think quite honestly, that's why this company is and, and will be successful because oh. you're doing it because of that reason. And you're, you have a call to action that comes from deep within inside you. It's not like, Hey, I came up with this idea, you know, yeah. that I can make a lot of money at. Right. Like it's, this is of personal importance to you. Yeah. And this is a potentially, you know, huge thing that could change the habits of millions of people and that, that comes a, a great responsibility and and i think uh, uh uh responsibility for you to you know be authentic to that mission you have to be and and uh you know i think about this as a father a lot i'm sure you do too um how do you get your kids to be less stubborn than you were <laughs> you know how, how do you you know because i mean it's not like people didn't tell you that you know particularly where you went to school or where i went to school you know i mean it's some pretty sophisticated people around you that know how to think about things. And, you know, you just still fall into that trying to do what you think someone else thinks you should do or, mm -hmm. you know, or just not listening to your heart. Even though, even though from an early age, if you have supportive people around you, they'll tell you to do that. Mm -hmm. But there's some other overriding thing that stops you from doing it. Not sure what it is. Listen to your heart. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end it now. All right. Thanks cool. so much. Yeah, thank you. Very that much. was awesome. I right, appreciate it. Uh, if people want to check out Ethan and Beyond Meat, you guys are on Twitter at Beyond Meat. Uh, Beyond Meat, the products are at Whole Foods. They're at, uh, what are the other? Yeah, sort of so thank you for letting me <clears throat> uh, So yeah. we're, we're Whole Foods. We're at uh, Safeways, which out here. Safeway. Uh, Bond and, yeah, mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and Rouse. And then uh, all the way through to Target. We're in the, in the southeast. We're in Publix um, in, uh, and uh, HEB in Texas. And we're in about target seven, nationwide. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. So we're about seven thousand stores now, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, growing pretty quick. So it's nice. yeah. So uh, no Unilever uh, lawsuit coming your way yet? No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's a, who's the likely candidate, yeah. or have they learned from that uh, uh, experiment? Yeah, I mean, uh, no, that's a lot of nice publicity for Hampton Creek. Yeah. Um, you know, the Cattlemen's Association at some point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think these claims... Because once you're... I mean, what triggered that is just, you know, being in that many stores, now you really are... You're, you're a legitimate real threat to, uh, to market share, yeah. right? And once yeah. that happens, you're playing with the big boys now. And what does that mean? I've right? offered... Yeah, I mean, we, I've offered Purdue and others to put, put our process into their facilities and, and produce for them. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it gets, it gets back to this, this, this why we're doing this, um, and they've never responded. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of like Elon Musk saying, you know, I'm making my IP public and because yeah. he knows he'll just out-innovate everybody, right? But that's how I feel. That's mm -hmm. exactly, that's how, that's exa so people say, well, why do you talk so publicly about what you do? I'm like, because, who's going to do it? Right. <laughs> Somebody has to do it, yeah, right? So, someone has to be crazy enough and, and just intense enough and and it's like you with swimming like 
you had confidence that you were just crazy enough to do the things you would do. Mm -hmm. And I know that about myself and this company that like, shit, if there are other companies out there that are as crazy as us about trying to get this done, that's awesome. Let's mm -hmm. go toe to toe, mm -hmm. you know? I like that, man. That's what you got. Yeah, I love that. That's perfect, man. Now that is the real good place to end it. Yeah. No, uh, it's inspiring, man. And I wish you only the best. And uh, I, I can't wait to kind of see what's next and, and watch you and the company grow. And I encourage everybody out there to give it a try. If it's Thanks. new to you, embrace it. And uh, and uh, let's fix this problem together, man. Let's do it. Do Thanks, man. Thank All you so right, much. Cool. Thank you. Right, Peace. Cool. Peace. Plants. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I left my wallet in El Segundo. Left my wallet in El Segundo. Left my wallet in El Segundo. I gotta get it. I got got. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Good dude. Good talk. If you're into learning more about Ethan and Beyond Meat, I would definitely suggest reading that piece on Outside.com. There's also some great additional pieces on uh, the Fast Company and Forbes websites, and I'll put all the links up to those articles in the show notes at richroll.com on the episode page. Uh, please send me your questions for future Q&A podcasts. We have not forgotten about that. We are going to be doing more of those soon. Send those to findingultra at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to find out all the information, education, products, tools, resources, and inspiration you need to take your health, wellness, fitness, diet, self-actualization to the next level, go to richroll.com, check out our nutrition products, our education products, and yes, our garments, which are all made with 100% organic cotton. If you like the podcast, please give us a review on iTunes and pick up the free app to listen to episodes older than the most recent 50 you see on iTunes. You can get that in the App Store. It's just the Rich Roll Podcast app. Thank you for supporting the show. Keep telling your friends. Keep using the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com and for sharing your enjoyment of this content on social media, particularly Instagram. I love the pictures of you guys and where you're listening to the show, so please keep doing that. Tag me so I see it. I can throw some love your way, and I'll see you guys next week. Peace. Plants. Yeah.